Hello, and welcome to Co-op Cast. This week, Steve and Elijah will catch up on some reviews and get you all the co-op news. Welcome to a special episode of Co-op Cast. My name's Steve, and with me is Elijah. Hello. And today, we've got a couple special guests. We have Mark and Pete, who are designers for SEAL Team Flex. Hey, guys. Hello. So today we're going to be running through an interview with these guys and hope you guys enjoy. So to start us off, um, tell us how you guys became board game designers, if you don't mind. Uh, well, um, I'll start. This is Mark. Um, <clears throat> I pretty much got into the hobby with uh, Descent Journeys in the Dark. I was playing it all the time and uh, I found myself wanting to play it a lot more than I had people to play it with. So I developed a solo slash co-op mod for it uh called descent quest and uh the internet seemed to really like it and i that spurred me to create my own original game i made a card game called house of spirits that came out in 2010 by lock and load and just kind of started making games from that point on um didn't actually release anything in between House of Spirits and Seal Team Flicks, but uh, we'll see what the future holds. And I, I've been making games forever. Um, from when I was little and playing Green Army Men games, and uh, I mean, I've been my family's been in games. Uh, I've got a bunch of uncles that were uh, big time war gamers, so it wasn't uncommon for me to go over to my uncle's house and visit my cousins and have you know giant six foot by six foot tables set up with complete detailed reenactments of you know, battling Lexington or something. So uh, it's kind of in my blood from that perspective. But uh, this is the only game that uh, that has been published that I've gotten. Uh, well, I mean, I, I did a lot of work on a, a game called Wreckage. It's a miniatures tabletop game with an RPG. I wrote uh, 12 or 13 chapters um, from an outline that uh, one of the designers gave me. So I kind of looked at it, I'm like, nobody's going to be able to play this game off this book. I mean, I love you, but no, this is not adequate for sales. So I rewrote <laughs> I rewrote the whole thing, and it just, they were very happy with it, and it received really, you know, pretty good reviews, especially for myself. Um, and then, uh, you know, then they kind of went off and did their own thing. I went off and did my own thing. Did some other editing stuff, and rules, uh, like, redesigns for some other games. Um, but Basically, this is the first one. I mean, uh, I did have another game that was going to get picked up by Grindhouse, but um, something happened uh, in my personal life that just kind of made me not want to uh, not want to deal with that at that time. So by the time I came back around and thought, okay, well, maybe I should pursue this further, Grindhouse went out of business. So what other games do you guys enjoy playing? What type of gamers would you... How would you describe your board game tastes? Uh, <laughs> Conflict and lots of it. Um, uh, pretty much a, a mirror trash, almost exclusively for me. Uh, uh, a lot of area control type games, uh, like uh, Cthulhu Wars. Um, I really like Spartacus. And let's see, as far as co-ops, uh, sometimes I play those. I've been playing a lot of Street Masters lately uh, from Blacklist Games. Um, Playing a lot of, of a card game called Fantasy Realms right now, which is also a WizKids game. Uh, it's by Bruce Glasgow, uh, the maker of one of my favorites, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Very cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. I'm more uh, of an equal opportunity gamer. Um, El Grande, Stone Age, two of my all-time favorite games. But right next to them is like HeroScape, Tactics, um, Crokinole. I've got a Seven hundred dollar Pokemon board sitting four feet to the left of me. Um, it's you know pretty much any game, any so I'm just like a really social dude. So like anytime I can involve maybe like some nice bourbon and some people to get together and sit down and murder each other virtually, I'm down. <laughs> I'm completely down. But like uh, lately, we've been playing. I play a lot of co-ops too. My wife is not like she's like the worst gamer of all time. She's like. She's, she did. She legitimately flipped the table uh, playing Takenoko over a panda. 
So she doesn't do confrontation well. So we we play like uh, a lot of games. Like uh, we've been playing a lot of Shonen. Uh, was that Shun Clever or whatever it is? Um, we've been playing. There's a there's a game I got as a gag gift once from a friend uh, in Denmark, and it's called Rolling Bones. I've probably played that five thousand times. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> I mean, it's just my wife loves it, and it's a great game that you can drink halfway in the bag. So, like, I'll play, I'm a guitarist, too, so I'll play guitar in the background waiting for her to take her turn, and then I'll set it down, and then I'll take my turn. And, you know, we play a lot of stuff like that. Uh, Dice Stars is a game that I just, I love it, and Mark hates games like um, Octodice. He and I disagree 100% on this. Worst worst game ever. <laughs> and it's one of my favorites. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of things I do. We do a lot of escape room games because my wife likes puzzles, and... Um, and my daughters do to some degree too, although they have less of a um, tolerance for frustration. So, uh, but I mean, I play all kinds of stuff, man. I mean, anything I can get my hands on, I pretty much like, unless it sucks, like, or if it's like if, if the if the setting disturbs me somehow. Like, I refuse to play Puerto Rico, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, definitely a throwback to HeroScape. I have a large uh, Tupperware container just packed to the brim with the dragons and almost every wave released and that is just uh, such a fun game in my mind something you don't take very seriously but it totally fun to set up on the on the table and then sort of duke it out is just so much fun i mean you have the the uh you know american revolutionary guys soldiers fighting the robots and just it's awesome fun so it's like the best game ever i, yep. I traveled around the country playing tournaments i mean wow. i love that game so much cool very cool. Thanks for that, guys. Um, so let's start talking about Steel Team Flicks then. Uh, sure. Just in case our our listeners aren't familiar with the game, would one of you mind uh, describing the game for them? Sure. Uh, Steel Team Flicks is a tactical dexterity game, uh, basically combining uh, uh, a point to mo- point to point movement uh, system around a grid, um, except that. Instead of rolling dice for your combat, uh, all of the seals working together uh, flick discs um, either on the board itself or sometimes off of the board on sideboards uh, that that handle specific things like sniping or uh, bomb defusal. Um, There's an AI system controlling the tangos or the enemies, and they do roll dice. And um, basically, it's for one to four players and... You go through a campaign, or you can play each mission standalone. There's 17 missions, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's that's that's probably the easiest way to describe it. Um, but I look at it from a from a design perspective. It's a little different than than I think you described. Only in that it's it's a tactical miniatures game, which would otherwise have miniatures if we could have packed them in there. <laughs> it's a tactical um, standee game. Yeah, it's a tactical standee <laughs> game. And basically what we do, what we decided is that when you're rolling, when, like when you roll dice and you do a skill test, and let's just say like Elder Sign or whatever, some game that everybody knows, or not Elder Sign, Elder Horror, you have a skill test. You roll dice, and oh, wow, I did it. Like that sucks. <laughs> like that's boring. You roll, you press pause in your game, and then you... Watch little dice roll in front of you, and then those dice determine how well you did. And that's not a skill game. We wanted to have this be like a first-person shooter where twitch factor matters, where skill matters. And so every single, uh, or virtually every single conflict or anything that needs adjudication is done by skill. So like Mark said, you want to defuse a bomb? You don't have a bomb, like an arbitrary bomb skill that one of your characters has. You have to defuse the bomb with flicking discs with a game. If you want to hack a door to break into the door without the alarm going off or without, you know, losing a turn or whatever, um, same thing. You have to you have to do that. That was one of the most important things that I think we we brought into the world is the concept that you don't have to just roll dice or draw a card or something like that, you know, yeah, and, in order and to the, resolve something. The other neat part of it uh, with the flicking is that 
not only does it make your successes great because you made that killer shot, but it also often makes your failures hilarious. Uh, yeah. It's like we call it a, fi- a high... If you had to classify it, it's a high-five generator. Yes. That's the game. Yes. I would agree with that statement, having played the game. Right? <laughs> like, like, when you make those amazing shots um, with the discs, me and Steve are just like, oh my gosh, no way, you know, up in arms, just like, that was so awesome. Like, <laughs> That's the thing. We're, we're just like, if, if, you, if you play the game, if you start playing the game like a 43-year-old man walking through there tactically making decisions, and then you make that shot for one short moment, you are 14 years old again. <laughs> yep that's what we wanted to bring into the world I think we did it pretty well <laughs> there's definitely a lot of skill in this game and that's probably why I lose at this game a lot too so <laughs> no I honestly I disagree I think I was I was having this conversation with a guy who owns a, a, a local board game shop uh, just opened up and we were discussing dexterity as an element of the game and how if you uh you know, some games like Propanol, it's a perfect example. If you suck at flicking, you will lose that game. In our game, that's not even remotely true. Because the board's only 18 inches long and it's got lots of corners. It's much more about how how well you can think about the mission, where your objectives are, where your threats are, and how to get from point A to point B without exposing yourself to enemy fire. While letting them get close enough to take a bank shot and catch them in the back of the head. You know, that sort of thing. Yep. Yep. So, and as you talk about the game, what was the inspiration for SEAL Team Flicks? Obviously, uh, a play on the name. Um, and, you know, we have uh, Tom Clancy, and it kind of brings to mind some of this tactical, uh, you know, go, 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 and, and flashbang. So, I, I guess I'm going to yeah. ask, what was the inspiration behind SEAL Team Flicks? Was it a certain movie, uh, a book, or a genre, or sort of all of that? What, what sort of yeah. drove that inspiration? Zeb told us what to make. Zeb told us up front what kind of game. In very well, he told me what kind of game in very broad brushstrokes he wanted to make, and it was a basically an analog version of a first-person shooter game. And you know, I kind of distilled that. And when by the time Mark came in, uh, he was—I mean, Mark can interject any time, but I, he was pretty close to in the mindset of what we wanted. And we're both big fans of, of Rainbow Six, the video game series. Um, and he like he's a super fan. I just like the game. He's like I didn't know the game, uh, yes, but I am a I'm Tom Clancy fan. I've read all his books. Well, all the books before he died. Um, and so like we we're just sitting there coming up with names for it. Once we once I come up with flicking and I'm like, dude, we got to do this. This is gonna make the game perfect. Um, and it was like this epiphanal moment where just everything came to fruition. All these years of work finally kind of uh, distilled into this producible object. We had to come up with a name, and he goes, man, I just wish we could get the Rainbow Six license, because Rainbow Six would be so bad. And I'm like, Seal Team Flicks. Or he says Rainbow f- or Rainbow Flicks, and I'm like, dude, Seal Team Flicks, we can use it. And it like, I swear to God, it was just high fives for hours and drinking. <laughs> you know, it was awesome. It's just that, it, it's like it, it, the naming of the game like is kind of personifies the feeling you get when you play the game. I would agree with that. I love the name. It's uh, dead on for sure. The only thing I don't like about the name is the font. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully soon to be changed. Yeah, where do baby seals come from? Just grab the box. It'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was interesting to make a tackle shooter like that. I I always think of tackle shoes as being, you know, team team based games. Mm-hmm. But this is obviously a co op game. So what what was the decision to make this into co op? Well, Whiz Kids uh from the start, that's what they wanted. Uh so it was pretty much always going to be cooperative. Um there was a point in time when we wanted to have uh an adversarial mode in it as well. Uh and that that didn't really materialize, uh, but it may show up uh at some point, uh, in fact, there's going to be a well. I mean, I guess it's not a guarantee, but there is a. They asked possi- us to make it. Yeah, there's a possible adversarial uh, scenario that will be released in a uh, in in a magazine, um, and we'll definitely be posting more about that when we have more details. So, did 
Have you guys played, uh, oh, Last Night on Earth? Have you guys played that yes. game? Yep. Okay, like that game is the epitome of the sandbox. I, I assume you would agree that it just came with a bunch of toys and a bunch of little tokens and said, go ahead, just, we'll give you some scenarios, but you're probably going to make some stuff up. I mean, is that pretty much your experience with it? That's pretty apt description, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of where we went with it, where, you know, we first we wanted to have, like, like you said, we wanted to have like a, a mode thing. And then I was pretty much against it. And just because most games that have like a bunch of modes, that most of them pretty much suck. Like they'll do something really, really well. They'll have a bunch of weak tacked on crap that doesn't really work very well. And we kind of, you know, I said, if we're going to focus development time and we want to get this done before we're very old men, um, we should probably focus on the core concept. And if something works, like we should legitimately use it and like, develop that further but don't spend any time thinking about it because we, we just got to get this to market now or it's definitely going to lose interest and um i think part of me thinks that we were, i was wrong um that it would have been cool to have adversarial especially uh the there's a that scenario that that he was speaking about um it'll come up eventually i'm sure um but i was really once I saw it, I started seeing the wisdom in it, and it would have been cool. I still don't think I'd do it in in the expansion or anything like that. But I think, uh, or unless I did like unless we did a expansion that had that was like a co op or a uh, adversarial type thing. But it just you know the game the game really works well for solo players. I mean that's a really underserved market. There's a lot of crappy solo games out there, and I'm finding that the solo community has really embraced this game wholeheartedly. I got a lot of people. In like Facebook groups that are like, wow, this game is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so tired of playing dice games. So, <laughs> you know, I think we, I think it's really an underserved market. There's not a lot of military games, like mass market military games, right? There's not right. a whole lot of SEAL team games or, you know, like those kind of games. Um, there's not a lot of dexterity games that are, um, any deeper than something like Ice Cool, which is, it's a cool game, but it's like, ridiculously light it's a cool game you play with your kids this isn't a game that like 35 year old dudes with craft beers are going to sit around like getting jazzed about you know what i mean we wanted that so we kind of focused on our target demographic and if it bleeds out another you know we never we didn't look at it like a dexterity game we looked at it like a tactical game that has dexterity elements and it's been kind of reported incorrectly by a lot of um like the initial media outlets that oh yeah it's a dexterity game like, uh, one guy, um, set a, shut up and sit down, started talking about it like it was like a, a catacombs knockoff. And I'm, uh, I'm like, nah, bro. That's not, that's not even what we wrote. Not close. Yeah. I, I had a uh, wrong impression when I first picked this up, too, where, you know, most dexterity games pretty, tend to be pretty on the lighter side. And yeah. this one is very heavy tactically, where, if you you really have to think multiple turns in advance and think about where all the tangos would be positioned, and I felt like that was a significant factor in how the game played. Where if you're not careful, you jump out in the open and you're not covering your tracks, you you can get mowed down. At least in my experiences. Well, the other yeah. thing is that it's not deterministic, right? I mean, that's right. That's always the 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 problem with games like you know I hate to say a pandemic because I adore pandemic and Red November. Uh, but I like Red November better because it's not deterministic. There's random stuff happening. It's it's uh, anything can happen. There's there's multiple layers of bad things that will happen to you in that game, um, and that's kind of what we brought to the table. Was we didn't want to just have a puzzle game where you could puzzle your way through it. It's like these are living bad guys that want to waste you and your whole team, and you have to not have that happen. So you have to think hard about how to play. And it starts from the beginning. As soon as you set it up, you have to look at the board with your with your friends uh, and who have their seals and determine who's going to do what, like from the get-go. What kind of weapons are you going to bring? What kind of equipment are you going to bring? It, it's all purpose-driven. It's not just like, hey, let's just, I'm going to throw some cards up in the air and whatever lands on my board, that's what I'm taking. Because you will die horribly. I would agree with that. In fact, uh, we've actually approached that um, when Steve and I played. Um, you know, it was, hey, I'm going to be medic dude and I want a silencer and this is going to be super cool. And we lost miserably. <laughs> and we actually yeah. approached the next scenario more with like, well, wait a minute. There's some rooms. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the cam. 
So I, you know, took the smart cam that allows peeking through doors and that scenario turned out so much differently. Uh, he ended up going sniper and he was covering me down the hall and, um, you know, I was kind of moving stealthily along uh, and, and using the cam for the rooms. And it was just, it actually unfolded beautifully. And just kind of thematically as I'm playing it, I'm just like, no, you got to stay there and cover me, Steve. And he's like, yeah, I got you. I'm covering this hallway. And we just literally waited for patrols to come through. And um, uh, Steve was sniping him out. And so it just worked so much better. So I would agree that yeah. it's not something you can just say, hey, I want to be medic guy. It's really, you got to kind of approach it in a tactical way. Yeah, Mark is Mark is a huge proponent. Oh, go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. No, I go ahead. I, don't know I was just say, saying that that sounds great. I'm I'm glad that it came out that way, and that's pretty much what we intended. Yeah, Mark. Mark has been like the champion of risk reward from day one. Um, he's been very focused on balancing. Um, I mean, I've been focused on balancing in a different way, like de- balance the maps, but he's balancing on the the overall philosophy of the game you don't get to do anything for free there's no such thing as a free lunch in this game everything comes with the risk reward uh you know sort of vibe that you have to consider with every move if you move here you may expose yourself to fire you know if you use a shotgun instead of a snake cam yeah you're going to see what's on the other side of that door but you also just shot a giant gun that's going to draw you know a bunch of bad guys to like can you know like uh, moths to a candle so that's you know that's i think that's why we work together so well because we you know we disagree on a lot of um ten thousand foot things but when it comes to the at the playing field level we're generally very very close in thought so it's it's really cool to have him as a partner that is true uh and you know he brings up another point that um like that mission you're talking about uh, that went one way with you being really subtle and stealthy and being covered. If you then play that again and you both go in with shotguns, um, it's such a different experience. Yeah. Um, you might not make it across half the map, but it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, there's also something to be said. Uh, you know, usually you want to pull out your gun and just the, the big gun, the sniper gun. And I'll tell you that Colt comes <laughs> in uh, handy a lot. So, you know, yeah. it's it's knowing what to use and when, where the patrols are going to be moving. Uh, it's just a great sense of, uh, you know, you feel like you're that SEAL team member kind of invading that warehouse and, and the patrols. And if you make noise, they're going to come. It's just, it's really great. Yeah, that's one of the few things that he and I, like, actually probably the thing we disagree on the most. He is, he's like, because he's a big, um, like, first-person shooter guy, he likes kind of like the, how do you describe like, Masculine power trip or something like that. It's not masculine. It's just power fantasy. Okay, pa- there you go. Power fantasy. That's what <laughs> I, I was want looking you to for. Feel like a hero. No, no, no. They're right. That's what I mean. He wants it to be like you walk in there and you are a super soldier. Whereas I, you know, I come from a military background. A lot, of, a lot of my family's military, and I have a lot of friends in the military. I have a friend who's a SEAL who actually gave me a lot of advice when I was first in the, in the formative moments of the game, and. Long story short is that, you know, it's, it, to me, you, can, you cannot diverge too much from realism. It has to be realistic because realism is all about risk. If, you, if it's a power fantasy, you're walking in, you're this super soldier, these bullets are bouncing off you like Superman. That's not a fun game the second time you play it. The first time, sure, like you're walking around like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm just wasting them. And then, like, you get tired of that. It's like God mode on Doom. Nobody wants to play that after, like, the first or second level. It's just boring. But now, you know, if it's realistic and there's threats and it's all, you know, very, uh, everything is salient to the realism of the game. Now it's like you have to really be serious because these are lives on the line. I mean, in, in the case of this game, like, there's a reason I named my family members for some of these characters. <laughs> Because it's real, you know. It's got to be. It has to be in your face, real. And you know, the way that I could get my wife and kids engaged in it was by naming the characters after them, so that they had some agency, some real agency on the board, right? Yeah, yeah that's interesting. You said that. Um, there was a post. I'm not sure where I saw it. I'm not sure which one we posted either. But saying something about how 
one of you was like running across the room, the other was timing it or something. You would, yeah. That's how you were trying to figure out the speed of the characters. Yeah. We, well, we were trying to figure out that the, the duration of a round and I'm, I'm a pro like for a, for a short guy, I'm fast. I was, you know, I was very fast in high school and I thought to myself, okay, if I take how fast I can run, you know, running across his, and he's got a really nice big house. So like I was running across his basement. It's, it was like a good 21 feet. And I'm like, okay, that seems legit. A dude wearing heavy armor and heavy weaponry and, and all, you know, gear and all that. How fast is he going to be able to move? And so that's how he came up with it. And that, that was all in relation to one of the old systems. One of the arguments we had over the system itself is originally it was, uh, what was that game that it was, that it was like, um, that you, the area movement game? Is that Gears of War? Was that the one, Mark? I don't remember if Gears uses area movement. So, well, in any event, it was, he had an idea to use area movement. And I thought, and that's actually how we ended up having the tangos to move. Like we always had the tangos moving from area to area, but we wanted to like just make it simpler so that it wasn't so fiddly. And it just didn't fly because like in, if you had two actions, you could move like 41 feet in six seconds in full body armor. So that's kind of how I was like, nah, this has to be realistic. Let me time me. Let's see how, see how, how far I can run across it or how quickly I can run this 21 feet. And it, it was, you know, like three seconds. And I said, okay, so let's, let's double that for the weight factor. And that's how we came up with, um, the speed values. Although it, that, even that changed quite a bit because we had originally had the characters more complex with individual powers and, you know, variable player power stuff. And each one's got a drawback and a bonus. Like, oh, well, he's fast, but he can't use big guns and, those sorts of things. We just kind of got rid of that because, like, Mark, Mark's philosophy of game design is what every single game designer's philosophy should be. And that's if it doesn't make the game more fun, it's out of the game. That's true. So, yeah, we, we kept, uh, we kept most of the seals pretty much, you know, all of the seals really, except for two of them are kind of like blank slates. They have a speed of four and they have four health. And then we took two of them and gave them a speed of five and only three health. Um, the thinking was that we didn't really want to go down a, a non-realistic like, um, well, for example, Rainbow Six Siege, one character, Sledge, he carries a hammer as though none of the other people know how to use a sledgehammer. Um, and it just didn't really gel with us as far as Oh, I'm the guy, the only guy who can do this thing. Um, so we didn't give them real inherent player powers. Of course, we did do specializations, which kind of let you focus down on a class of, of abilities, but we didn't feel that that was, that was illogical. That's very realistic. Yeah, it's very. And I, and I like the idea of, I don't know if you've ever played Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is a, it's a really cool RPG system and it has sort of like a, a character funnel. Where you start with like four dudes and like they're all gonna die, but maybe one, and that's the guy who actually gets to level one and advances. So, like, basically, that's what we did. We said, basically, you're gonna run around and you're gonna fight two missions, and if you happen to survive, you just got a field promotion, and now you get to choose an MOS, like a like a, a job. So you can be you can be the sniper guy, you can be like the combat medic guy, you can be you know whoever you want to be, and so. That's kind of how all that came about, you know, because we, we, we wanted, we wanted specialization, but we didn't want like you to have to pick dude A, you know, like, especially since we were going to have girls in the game. Like some, some guys are just, they, for whatever reason, their ego can't handle like playing a girl character. So like you're going to play Melissa Rustico and like, oh, well, you know, if she was a sniper on the board now, oh man, I want to be the sniper, but I want to be the girl. So like, you know, we give them some choices. So we we talked a lot about um, some of the mechanics and some of the backstory, uh, you know, the influences of the game. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the game. The noise, uh, the movement of the AI, how the, the differentiation between the sentries and the uh, tangos themselves, um, you know, the round marker, the loadout, the upgrading E7, E8, um, and so on. So, uh, you know, it's, I know this is going to be very hard, but what um, I'm going to ask both of you, which game mechanic are you most proud of? What do you feel really, um, you know, as you spent time designing and playtesting over and over, what has really stood out to you? Well, uh, probably the thing I'm most proud of are the sideboards. Uh, I think it's a really, it's kind of a neat extra thing to 
kind of focus in on a specific action that would be really hard to represent on the board itself, uh, or at least um, in most games it would just be resolved by some sort of die roll. Um, so we tried to come up with as many unique sideboard mechanics as we could, um, and there will be more to come. And um, I think <laughs> they've been fairly uh, universally loved, so I'm really glad that, that people like them as much as I do. Yeah, I'm me, AI, hands down. To be able to build an AI that is threatening, intelligent, but also after the first game you play it, and this is just my opinion, um, the first time you play the game, it sucks because you're like, oh, what do I do? And then after it kind of, it kind of, uh, solidifies in your head, then it becomes second nature. And we wanted to build a game so that you could play it off the back page. I hate rule books. Like, I despise them. Um, especially poorly written ones. And so I, like, no, we're not doing that. We're making a game you can play off the back of the book. Everything's, you know, the one page rules reference. And once you've internalized it, um, we, like, I'm so happy the AI turned out like it did. Yeah, I must admit, I do use that back page, and it, uh, it runs pretty well. I just jump down each of those steps, and it seems pretty pretty uh, streamless, uh, seamless, honestly. The one thing I will mention about the AI is, I'm not sure how you guys came up with the locations on the board, but I found them to be particularly good, where sometimes when I play co-op games, the AI does things that just doesn't make sense. But a lot of times in this game, I felt like the the tangos were in the most opportune spot for them, which made it most challenging for us to mm-hmm. do whatever we needed to. So, like, oh man, if he was in that one spot, you go here, here, but he's really covering these both both these corners and these angles, and it would it was really well done. I do a lot. Of, well, thank you. I do a lot thank of you. mental playtesting, and Mark's pretty good at it too. So I can look at a map and kind of just kind of visualize how a game will play out just by looking at it. So, like, I, de- I designed, what, five of the six maps? Well, I designed them all, like, but Mark had the idea for the subway, and what was the other one? I did the subway, and I did, um, now I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. After watching his uh, playthrough video with all the mistakes where he wasn't involved in the game design. No, but yeah, they, they, doing the design, it was, it was a tough deal. I mean, it started out with uh, a 12 by 18... Um, foam core and, and a magic marker in his basement. And we just kind of came up. I had an idea for what I thought the map would look like, and so did he, and it was pretty close. So we just kind of merged our ideas and then kind of looked at how it should play out without having any mechanics really solidified. And the map kind of became, like, we built the game around the maps. Like, around originally, the office map was the first map we had. Um... For this generation, I had way many, I had like a bunch of other maps for the previous versions, which all pretty much sucked in various quantities. Um, but the office kind of is where it all started. Um, it's still my favorite map, probably, uh, just because it's so nasty. It's got so many corners. And then, you know, we started looking at what would you do if you were this guy? And I always ask that. What would you do if you were that guy who was this crazed lunatic who was bent on human destruction, had no value for your own life? What would you do? And then, then it didn't make sense because it's like, you know, these guys are not going to be running around, you know, committing suicide bombers. Although originally we had like seven different types of enemies. One of them was a suicide bomber. Um, but then we kind of diverged into just, it's too much. Let's just have two guys. Um, one that's, sta- one that's stationary and one that's mobile. And then from there I came up with the, he came up with areas, I think, or maybe we came up with jointly during like a brainstorming, and then I came up with how to make them move from space to space with the with the linear move, linear movement, and then they change uh, tactics aggressively uh, based on whether they've been alerted or not. And then, like after that, it was pretty simple because like you just if you're playing the game, you're like you just look at the guy and go, okay, so he has a line of sight on me, he's definitely going to shoot me, but he's going to take cover first. If you were that guy, where would you take cover? And it's so abundantly obvious that it's either this spot or this spot, and they're equally good. So I'm going to put him there because it's as a player because that's to my advantage. I have an easier shot to kill him if I put him there, and it's still within the the letter of the law, so to speak. So it's, it, I'm like I said, I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't be happier with the way that the AI finally 
gelled and especially that people are digging it. And I'm just going to comment back on the sideboard. Um, the lock picking uh, sideboard was a lot of fun. So I love the whole yeah. idea of, you know, rolling dice to, to place the numbers. And then um, I had a particularly uh, the most difficult lock you could pick. And it was like, you know, I got this. And no, I didn't. <laughs> and it was like, you know, of course, you're making noise. And I'm like, I think I can get it next round, Steve. So I'm over here fumbling, you know, and then I'm on my... Uh, two-way mic with him saying you know keep keep you know keep me covered in the hallway so it was just very thematic uh the sniper sideboard i would add unless you're really good at flicking um probably leave that for uh, after you've had some more practice with the game but uh definitely fun yeah it's a tough one especially at a hostage side so um got another question here uh so what game mechanic was the most challenging so i mean as you developed the game and did the play testing what consistently, you know, maybe you reworked it over and over and over and, and woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, like, Eureka, I have it, or, uh, you know, was just so difficult to, to nail down. Um, and I'll, again, I'll ask both of you. Well, I'm sure we're going to both have the same answer. Uh, it's definitely the AI. Uh, just getting that to do, you know, the reasonably logical behaviors consistently. Um it it was a real challenge and it required a lot of experimentation and adjusting the maps and um it it was quite a process i would personally say that that was that was the hardest thing to get right what do you think Pete? i would say i would say uh that's probably true but the if if i were to look at i mean the maps were the hardest thing like the single hardest thing to generate were the maps like i'm good at making maps and they were really hard, and I'd do a lot of editing on them to, because there was there's always that one corner that you think, oh, that's just so clever, and then it ends up just breaking the game. Um, it becomes like a, a, a point that you just can't get somebody out of. Um, and so that was, for me, the I mean, I guess they go hand in hand, um, but the AI, like, I did all of the, I put, I did all the placement of where the AI was or where, where all the little red, yellow, and green spots were. Um, and like that was, that was hard, but balancing it all had to be the hardest because it was just like, there were so many various factors. Like how far can this guy move? Can he get to that spot in X amount of time? Can, you know, what will the tango do if he's in this position, if he's presented with this threat? And, you know, can you just blow him out with a, really it came down to, okay, that's going to be a, a really, like the, the hotel map, that's a nasty map. That's going to mess a lot of people up and they're going to get mad about it. But if all else fails, throw as many grenades as you have and it will all work <laughs> out. You can only have six sound in an area. So just blow them all to pieces and it will all work out. So that was kind of the ultimate. Um, that's what made the. That's what made the development stop. Was we just decided at some point that okay, if all else fails, you've got like four hand grenades. You can one of you is bound to hit something. So we'll just we'll call it good with that. You know. <laughs> uh, it's, nice. it's interesting you mentioned that because I think the uh, both of your points, AI and map design, are um, you know very challenging. I mean, if you look at a lot of video games. Uh, even back to Super Mario Brothers or Contra, um, level design is very difficult, right? Which door opens where? How do you lead the player in down the path to get to the boss? Or uh, and then AI, how do you have it so it's challenging uh, but not too challenging? And so that that's quite interesting. It kind of parallels a little bit into um, some other, you know, of uh, course, board games and video games, even. So interesting. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. it was really the the overall balancing that all was the toughest part because you've got. How aggressive are the bad guys? How quickly can you move? How spaced out are the objectives? And how much time should we allow you so that I'm not letting you play for six hours, but I'm giving you enough time to where you have a couple of fudge factors where you're delayed or where you get a, a little skirmish. So that was really tough. You know what's really nice is I just go into the store and buy the game and then I play it. <laughs> and I get all the benefits <laughs> that you guys have worked through that. So really Hashtag nice you're welcome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really nice job to both of you. It's uh, it's awesome. So Thank you. So now the game's been published for a while, are there any mechanics you would return to to tweak or change if you could? Absolutely. 
Um, there are a few of the specializations uh, I feel are not as great or as enticing yeah, as I would like them to be. So that will be changing. Um, can't really say any more than that, but um, it will be a little more appealing to pick some of those some of those classes. Interesting. And do you mean do you mean the uh, the E seven? Are you talking about the upgrades? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of them where you don't really you don't even gain a new ability uh, on a particular rank. You'll just get new gear. And uh, well, that was by design. We just we was, that was another thing we disagreed on. I yeah. It, he it likes. Was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, we that. yeah we we definitely did it deliberately. But now that I look back on it, I kind of wish that we hadn't so that'll get retconned again this is the, this goes back to the power fantasy versus realism that everybody <laughs> can't be you know uh gi joe right there's got to be some guys who are like the tanks and some like you go look at games like uh warcraft online or whatever that is world of warcraft there's guys that are perfectly happy casting spells just helping people out the whole time and so we got we we really did kind of relegate a couple roles. Like the EOD guy is not awesome until he is needed, and then he is so awesome. So you kind of have to <laughs> you have to accept that. Yeah, you're not going to get the coolest gear. You still get to flick. You still get to go, go run around and kill stuff. But when you're needed, when when it's in the clutch, and you're about to get so jacked up, surrounded. And there's that little red door right there. If only someone was good enough to get in it. That guy is the hero for at least that round. <laughs> so it's hard to balance games like that because everybody can't be the best. So you have to pick and choose who has the crap here. Who's going to be the medic? Like, you know, now I the love medic's the medic not character. terrible. I like the medic. That, like he's my favorite character. Uh, you know, Jerry Hawthorne uh, from Plat Hat. Yes. Okay, he was a combat medic. He's a, he's like one of the coolest guys ever. So when I was making when I was thinking about what characters and every one of those jobs by the way is an actual sealed job. So like there's actual seal MOSs. So when I was thinking about like who wants you who's going to be a combat medic, I always kind of thought of Jerry in the back of my head. How would I want this guy to be and, and you know, Jerry's one of my favorite people, so it really made sense that he would be Somebody that's really helpful but strong, um, you know that's that kind of thing. Even though it may not be the the most attractive uh, role in the game to be like the guy who goes around fixing broken people, but like it's a it's a you gotta have it. I mean, you kind of gotta have it in this kind of game, where or you're just gonna get in with a bunch of dudes that are ripped to shreds. Well, Elijah knows how much I like to play medics in games. I was so. going to say, I love my medic, or should I say Steve? <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. There's, that's what I think we got right. I mean, yeah, Mark's right. Some of the guys kind of suck. They're not, I mean, they don't really suck, but they're just like, uh, that's not, well, they, they don't get all the cool weapons. They don't get the, like, the cool sniper sideboard. But on the other side is, there's some guys who really like those roles. Like, like these guys like the medic, you know, I, I play the medic. I mean, Mark knows I play the medic a lot in this game. Yeah, I do too. And uh, he'll be getting better. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that sneak preview, maybe you'll call it. Um, But, you know, it's it's also fair to step back and say, you know, as you design, uh, there's a lot of challenges, you know, deadlines and expectations. And, and, you know, again, you're pulling your hair out. Let's get this thing out the door. And, and, you know, across the board, across the industry, we see first and second edition and third editions and expansions. And so... You know, I think it's fair to know that um, it's very, very rare, I think, for a game to be absolutely perfect as it comes out the gate. And, uh, you know, I personally think it's it's definitely um, a lot of fun and very playable, obviously. So kind of interesting to see your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 better to, how did my dad always say, uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good enough. You know, we didn't want to make a perfect game. We wanted to make an awesome game. And, yep. you know, yeah, there's going to be some little couple of scratches and bruises. Like, and almost all of the stuff that bothers me is production-related. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, everything works. There's nothing broken in it. I, You know, ideally, I'm not going to have a, a Here I Stand or whatever the heck that game was that everybody flipped out about. It's like, oh, you can do this 
one maneuver and win every time. You know, like Something there's not that snow. Yeah, yeah, a few acres of snow. Everybody yeah. lost their mind about that. Like, dude, you spent forty dollars, <laughs> dude. That's like a if you got a big family, that's a night at McDonald's. You're st- why are you sweating this so much? It's a game, bro. <laughs> So you mentioned about production, and this one has a significant production. I'm kind of flabbergasted on how you guys managed to get this to come together with these 3D walls and everything. What were the biggest challenges trying to get this produced? Uh, Well, uh, actually, I believe it would be the walls. Um, There was a lot of back and forth as far as what material, how will they be attached to the board, um, will they be detachable, Um, is it going to be you know, too complicated. Um, there was a, a lot of, uh, attempts, uh, and experiments done on the WizKid side of things. Um, and we were very pleased with how they came out. Um, I mean, it, I suppose in a perfect world, like you wouldn't ever want any glue, but, but some of the shorter walls really do benefit from having a little Elmer's glue or some other adhesive attached. But, uh, I can certainly live with that since you only have to go through the pain of installing them once. Um, well, we, we had other yeah. problems with it. I mean, that were the, related to production. Sure. It wasn't so much the problem was production. It was that we we built so much content with no anticipation of doing an, uh, an expansion. I Like we said, here's our deliverable. And I sent it to Zeb and it was like a 14, 15 pound box. And and this is with foam core boards, not with cardboard and balsa. Like the, my prototypes were all balsa walls that were stapled and glued down to foam core that had been uh, printed uh, with mylar. So like they were awesome. Um, and we gave them all this content, and we had to make cuts at the end because just budgetarily it was going to fly. And the one thing that Mark and I were really really bummed out about is. Say it, Mark. Please say it. Uh, lack of miniatures. Yes, that's the one. How how did you guess what I was thinking? <laughs> so, yeah, we really wanted to be a miniatures game. And honestly, um, I have sitting literally within arm's reach uh, a bag of little rolly pawns, which is what we used for the second half of the development of the game. Once, once it changed from a multiple enemy with multiple weapons, with multiple activities type game to a two bad guys we switched to these roly pawns from metal miniatures like uh, 12 millimeter metal miniatures and i'll tell you what um these will i haven't i have a, a copy of my game sitting right there and inside of it are roly pawns and i will probably always use roly pawns because it's a, it's just there's something satisfying with plastic getting plastic or wood getting plastic and uh, you know not that the not that the standees are bad i love the standees they're great it's just they're not what I, not what I envisioned, and I I claim a, you know artistic license to put in whatever I want in my box. <laughs> so, but that's there was that. I mean, I gave him a design on how I thought the wall should work, and um, Josh Dirksen is sort of like the unsung hero that needs to be interviewed about this game because, like, my God. He did. He took what we, what our vision was, and made it into reality in in a such a profound way. It looks exactly like we thought it would, like we wanted it to. The wall design, and then he went out of the way to make it so it all mostly, so it fits in the box ish. And uh, when assembled, and it has this beautiful little injection molded tray. Like I, I'm still, I'm with you. I I don't know how they got this down to this price point where all this stuff fits in this box. But they did, and I guess we're all the recipients of the of that largesse from uh, from WizKids. And Zev's a genius when it comes to this kind of stuff, so I never really had any doubt. But you know, it's, it was I was pleasantly surprised by how awesome it ended up. So, for the production of the game, did they do a lot of consulting with you? I mean, you know, you you might have said, "Hey, here's the vision of the walls and stuff," and then you know, I kind of envision that they disappear for a while and work on it. Um, but I mean, I guess it's a collaborative effort, right? They're constantly From, getting yeah. back to you and and what they would like to maybe tweak or can you do this differently or this isn't going to fit or this is too much money. I mean, I guess there's a lot of that kind of back and forth with the publisher. Is that right? Yeah, I I spent I probably did more of that than Mark dealing with the. That aspect of it, um, 
and it you know honestly it was what it was right i the the maps like a lot of people do prototypes that look pretty crappy i played a lot of crappy looking prototypes in my life and i am a firm believer and i think i've turned mark into a believer maybe that nope. the better <laughs> you scumbag <laughs> i love you so the better the prototype looks the more the more finished it looks even if it's not the more finished it looks and it'll get your foot in the door. Now, we already had our foot in the door, so it didn't matter. But I, it just, my prototypes looked awesome. They looked like 80% production quality as far as the artwork. I mean, it wasn't like great artwork. It was just stuff that I had cobbled together. And um, But, I mean, now the artwork looks really good on the expansion. But, again, I'm going to hand it over to Josh. And he's the reason that it all worked out the way it did was because, at least in my opinion is because I did such a good job on making the prototype art. Include The sideboards looked almost identical, except, like, polished. Like, it looks like, let's see, a, 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 an eighth-grade artist. He's a good artist. He's got got talent, but it's not, like, adult art, right? Would do something, and then you give it to, like, Van Gogh, and he's like, oh, I can make this perfect. And that's what he did. He took art, and that's why it looks the way that we wanted it to look, was because we didn't leave it to chance. We didn't give him like, you know, just black lines on a white paper and say, okay, this is the map. We gave him a fully assembled map with wooden walls and functioning doors and everything. You know, everything. And the, the rule book was written almost exactly as you see it now. It was written in like publisher with pages and like we we spared no expense. Well, I spared no expense because I did all the writing and all the damn work on it. But I mean, like uh, the, the actual building of it and stuff. But, uh, like, they looked awesome, and that's why it looks awesome now, I think, because, at least to me, why it looks awesome, why Mark and, Mark and my vision was so accurately portrayed on this was because we showed them what we wanted. And for anybody that's designing a game, like, it's one thing to say, yeah, I kind of want this so-and-so, and it's like the, the box art's a great example. We had almost no say in the box art. Zev just said, hey, here's the box art. You like it? And... Like you, it's been it's been paid for. So yeah, I guess we like it. I mean, what are we gonna do, right? You know. If, yeah, there there actually was a different cover, and he asked, he showed us that, and I was like, ah, uh, it's all right, but uh, yeah, technically, all right. It it had a it, it it had one of the female soldiers. She wasn't wearing a helmet. I was like, you know, can she have a helmet like the other people? And um, they went back and redid it, but even then, the whole concept wasn't great, and the style was off. And um, then they went back and got a new artist, and that's the that's what you see on the box. And that one, we I don't think we saw that. Uh, I think we might have saw a pencil sketch. No, we saw the well. I don't know about you, but I saw the pencil sketch and I saw the ink. And once you were on board with the pencil sketch, I'm like, cool. And I just you know I. I mean, there's no, there's not much input you can give to an artist. I mean, if that's his vision, you could, you can tell him, oh, I want this a little more, I want that a little more. But I don't know, it's like tattoos. If you go to a tattoo shop and you give a guy a, you know, a picture, say, make me that, it's going to turn out okay. If you give him that, you say, here, have fun with it, man. Just make it look cool. It's going to look way cooler because the guy put his love into it. And that's, I think, how the artist kind of did it. I mean, my daughter's an illustrator, so. Like that's I kind of look how she does things, and you know that's it seems like that's how it works at least you know with all my tattoos and stuff. It's also, I mean, I'll go on the record and say I actually I love the cover. I'm very happy with it, and I even printed it and put it on my wall. But yeah, that's the only thing. If you're gonna, you know, everything everything was as we wanted it to be because we made sure of it, and you know, I've, like I said, I've got a lot of friends in the game business, like on the production and the. And the invention side. And every time that they say, this is how I want it to look, verbally, it, it's it's never, they're never 100% happy with it. Well, I won't say never, but it's it's rarer that they're going to be 100% happy with it. But they give them a, a rough, even if it's just a simple rough and say, this is what I'm thinking about. Like, we, we really didn't want jungle on the box because jungle makes absolutely no sense for... Seal Team Flicks, because there's no jungle map, and there's no reference to jungle, and, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. But it's a really cool box art, so I'm down, you know? 
And going, I'm just going to comment real quick on the production. Uh, I remember when Steve showed me the game, it was just like a little mind blowing. Um, certainly not like many games you see. And so uh, definitely innovative and, and kind of interesting. And then, of course, as we play, it makes complete sense why the walls are how they are and the rooms with the doors. And it's just it's really cool. You know why I wanted walls really had nothing to do with bouncing off of them, although that was a I won't say nothing to do. That was part of it. I wanted walls because LOS sucks. Finding LOS through things is one of the mm. least fun things in all of gaming. It's right up there with rolling dice and hoping for the best and having no control over the outcome. Um, so, like, you kind of had to have those walls there because if there's an imaginary wall there, it's not as much fun going, well, you know, does the line cross an imaginary wall? If that physical wall is there, it just something in your mind triggers and it just makes more sense and it's easier. Although the bouncing is fun. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to agree with you there too. The line of sight is is can be a not fun mechanic, and so I think the 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 better you can streamline in a game, you know, you you just ha capture more of the audience. Um, you don't want to be sitting there and pulling out your tape measures and <laughs> so on. Yeah, exactly, and that's why we. When we uh, were doing the design of the walls, that's why I wanted the walls to extend past the grid lines so that it was abundantly clear that if you're measuring center to center from one point to another, any corner will block LOS. Like, it's just obvious because the oh, wall extends over. So that's interesting you mentioned that this came up in our play, and um, I think you've just confirmed it then. So if uh this is kind of a detailed mechanic here or, or gameplay but if you have uh yourself in um one's grid square and a tango in another and the center to center passes on the very edge of a corner of a room it does that count because technically we if we lay down a piece of string or sort of a ruler you know you could trace center to center but it's that corner they're not quite sure um what's yeah, the yeah but so a that. corner will block it that that is by design and the the easy way to remember this is if that corner didn't block OLOS, you wouldn't need the corner arrows. That's true. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to be Captain Obvious flying into the rescue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We're, the world is saved. You can go home. <laughs> so I did have one thing I want to bring up um, just so our listeners are aware of. I know with the first printing... There was a, uh, unfortunately, the sentry positions were left off the map. Um, yeah. And my experience is it hasn't been a big deal. You guys send out the the uh, documents. We can find where they are. And I, I mean, the sentries, you start them in one position. They move once all game. It hasn't been a huge deal for me, for our plays at least. But I don't know if you guys have any further comments on what pl plans you may or may not have for for that the other printings in the future. Well, um, assuming that there is a second printing, which I would, venture to guess there will be um those will show up and be fixed fixed in that in theory uh, for me personally what i did with my copy is i took an orange sharpie and a black sharpie and i basically put them on myself right on the board uh using the document um certainly though consulting the document during setup isn't a big deal i've done it and uh like you said, it doesn't really detract. The only real bummer um, with not having them on there is uh, having those sentries make that initial move is the the one thing that helps you remember, oh, that sentry's alert because he's not where he started out. Um, so that's why it's helpful to just maybe put a little mark on there, even if it's just a little orange dot or something. That'd be my suggestion. Right. Yeah, that's ex that's exactly right. The the those were there by design for a purpose, and it was to track movement, that they have already made their move, and they will not be moving any further. Without those dots there, how can you possibly remember that? Like, oh yeah, I remembered moving them at, you know, on 18, turn 18. I remember them moving them 17 turns ago, or 48 minutes ago. No, that's bull. That's why they were there. Um, and so, like Mark said, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I have put, I have really thin sticker material, um, but honestly, I don't know that, I, I don't know that I would use it. Um, if I was going to do anything, I'd pr probably prefer a water slide decal, which I might actually make some up. Um, but, you know, Sharpie will do just fine. And I would highly recommend adding a Sharpie. And to all of our paying customers, 
man, I'm really sorry. We didn't have nothing to do with it. <laughs> somebody screwed up. <laughs> somebody screwed up out there on uh, in China or on the webcam on uh, WizKid side. We don't know. I don't really care. I'm not really yeah. much to assign blame. I mean, it, yeah, crap happens. Uh, we're not. It is what it we're is. We're not. We're not blaming anyone, but it's definitely not us. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, boys. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I had the same plans to put a mark on my board too. I don't. That should be pretty easy to do. Not a big deal. So cool. Yeah, That's good to know. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, and maybe you can't comment a whole lot about this, but I know in the rule book you used the word terrain. And the only terrain features we have are the cover blocks. I assume terrain is a encompassing term for things maybe coming in the future. I don't know if you can share any thoughts on that. You're correct. That is a future-proof term. Um, there are a few different things we have in the pipeline, um, both man-made and natural. Um, you could probably draw some inferences based on that. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I'll tell you exactly why it is. I hate rule books that have a whole bunch of new stuff when the new expansion comes out that you have to learn that you didn't learn in the first. I I mean, yeah, it's kind of dumb of me not to have put it in there. And it's 100% my fault. I didn't write terrain in there or what it meant. Um, but basically, anything that's not a door or a person is terrain. So, you know, basically, it's uh, crates are terrain. Um and other things, whatever they may be. We had initially, when I was looking at it first, again, this was another thing, kind of goes back to production. I wanted to have more scatter that it stopped you from moving, like it, it slowed you down, so you like crawling over a desk or whatever, and it was just going to be like a little wood cube, you know what I mean? You could blow it up, or you could break it, or you just crawl over and ignore it or whatever. You couldn't stop on it, but that had to get cut because... It was, it's amazing to me how much those little wood cubes are, like, cost-wise. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, we ended up dropping that. And plus, we don't, you know, like, Mark's golden rule is if it doesn't make the game more fun, it goes. And I don't know that that really added that much fun. So, maybe it's better off that it died anyway, because it saved a few bucks on the MSRP. <laughs> but yeah, in the future, we're going to have all kinds of other stuff in there. Stuff that's going to blow your mind. Like, stuff that when we, like, I came up with this one thing, and, like, it immediately was, like, me and Mark had trouble walking. So, like, all the blood <laughs> left our head. So, it was, you know, it's one of those things that's just, I think it's going to be so rad that if if the expansion gets, we get a contract in the expansion once it's done. Um, and I think we're pretty far along on it. Mark just sent me um, a guide today. Because, I wrote, like I said, on the... On the last one, I did almost, I like, probably 99% of the writing. He did the cards. We collaborated on the card text and stuff. But all the writing, I wrote it, and then we edited, we collaboratively edited it. And then I came up with the scenarios, and he came up with some of the scenarios. We collaboratively edited it. Well, Mark wants to do, Mark has a really, really cool story. Like, I'm jealous that I didn't think of it first a little, because it's a really, really good story. Um, Mark's not much of a storyteller, sadly, so we're going to have to work on that a little. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're going to, um, he's, he's just, he's doing the principal writing on this one, doing the scenario guide and, um, and some of the other stuff. I'm going to be adding some, like, sort of, uh, I'm going to add additional material, let's call it. I'm going to use some additional material. Uh, I developed, uh, most of the sideboards, um, his sideboard idea this time. Like, he's the king of the sideboards. I mean, I came up with the sideboard, like, what they do and how they function, but he was the idea guy on a lot of them. And on this one, dude, you guys are going to, you get, if you love this game as much as I do, you're going to lose your, like, as soon as you see what's in this box, <laughs> you're going to lose your, because I did. And I, like, I have it in front of me right now. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, man, I had my wife do it and she was like, oh my God. I had my daughters do it, and they said, Daddy, this is too hard. And I said, good, get better at life. <laughs> and, you know, this is, like, th it's going to change, like, your perception of how games should be made. It's so legit, man. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. So, yeah, terrain will be coming out. 
So do you have any comments uh, or what would you say to our listeners who are on the fence about this game? So, you know, maybe they've listened to the podcast and, and are following it online and, and looking and I'm, they're on the fence about it. What would you uh, say to them? Well, um, if they've made it this far in the podcast, they're probably on board. But uh, <laughs> uh, I would say if you have any interest in Rainbow Six or Call of Duty or Ghost Recon or uh, video games like that, um, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a better analog version. And even if you think, oh, dexterity's not for me, um, you can probably get by the dexterity aspects of this game Um most some of the shots are very short, uh, especially if you have a, another player with you that maybe can handle some of the tougher tasks. So I would definitely give it a shot. Okay, I got three things. Number one, if you have a family and you like to play games with your family that aren't like crap, like games I want to play, then buy it. Number two, if you're listening to this, you like games. You're like in the game culture. You've spent thousands of dollars on some games that have sucked. You've spent $100 on a Kickstarter that you regretted immediately after receiving it. This is like 50 bucks, bro, and everybody who's ever played this that I've spoken to has loved it. Like, loved it. So, there's another thing. Number three is, if you, like, it's not a dexterity game. Sorry, it's not. If, if somebody said this is a dexterity game... They have never played this game, and they're lying to you about their experience with this game. <laughs> this is a dungeon-crawly, tactical, running around, doing cool stuff, accomplishing missions. Oh, and by the way, there's no dice in it. So all you Euro dice haters, this is the one. Get it. That simple. <laughs> you sold me. That's it, Steve. I'm coming over. Right? The <laughs> if, if you guys live closer, you'd be at my house right now looking at a bottle of bourbon. With me playing this game. Oh, you'd be playing the expansion. Uh, well, all right. Just to just to quickly clarify, there are dice, but we make it so that right. you don't want to roll them. That's it. If you <laughs> if, if the yeah. dice get rolled, you're you screwed up at life somewhere along the way. <laughs> and with that, I'd like to thank Mark and Pete for joining Elijah and I on the podcast to talk SEAL Team Flicks. Tune in next week when Mike and Peter review another game followed by a design discussion. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-OpCast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop. And follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.